everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I may have just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you're listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay, although it is as cold as a witch's refrigerator out here. Brr! That's a noise you make when it's cold. I went to the grocery store the other day, as is my want, and was surprised by something that I saw. I know I've brought up things similar to this before, but it's becoming more of an epidemic. This was the night before Christmas, and everything was appropriately quiet in our house, etc. I was picking up a few items at the grocery store. I noticed one of the items that was available for me to purchase was Cadbury cream eggs, a distinctly Easter-themed candy. People, we are experiencing some kind of a holiday Pangea, where all holidays are one. It's very unsettling to me. I know I just need to get over it and allow the experience to happen, but, um, yeah, holiday Pangea. Centuries from now, when the holidays have once again separated into their separate holiday continents, scientists will start wondering how bits of Arbor Day DNA ended up mixed in with Thanksgiving. They'll be wondering how the tradition of decorating the turkey and drinking green beer on Cinco de Mayo started. It's going to be interesting times, and I, for one, have always been in favor with the idea of fucking with future historians. So, I guess what I'm saying is, society, carry on. Well, that was pretty stupid. But enough of this stupid, let's get on to some different stupid. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Lucas Brown, the host of the excellent The Math of You podcast. Nearly hit by morning water? That's a dewdrop, miss. So sit down and get ready for the synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Lucas. Defenders, number 23, May 1975. The snakes shall inherit the earth. Written by Steve Gerber, drotted by Sal Buscema, inkted by Vince Coletta, lettered by Junie B, colors by Don W, and edited by Len Wein. Defensive lineup. Valkyrie, Doctor Strange, Nighthawk, The Hulk, and Yellow Jacket. Previously in The Defenders. Valkyrie was having a bummer of a time. Ever since Asgardian asshole Amor the Enchantress jammed Val's personality into the body of mystically insane woman Barbara Norris, Val had been going through a character-defining existential crisis due to the fact that she shared no memories with the body she inhabited. Since learning a few details about Barbara's life, like the fact that she had an estranged husband named Jack, Val's metaphysical angst had become turned up to 11. Bummer. The sense of self-seeking Scandinavian swordslinger was taking a stroll through a bad part of town to clear the head she wasn't sure was hers when she heard screaming. Turned out an enormous rabbit rat was about to eat a baby. Val dispatched the rampaging rodent with a magic sword dragon fang. Hooray! Noticing that the conditions in the apartment building were not conducive to not being eaten by sewer rats and likely in violation of several health and safety laws, the Norse warrior invited the nearly gnawed newborn and her mother Elena to come stay with her at Steve Strange's Sanctum Sanctimonious for a spell. Across town at a fancy rich person party, billionaire-do-well playboy Kyle Richmond was also having a bummer of a time. His girlfriend had left town after her supervillain uncle had blown up her arm, and now Kyle was mopey. Poor fella! When a slumlord business asshole named Harry Holloman approached the despondent do-gooder about some sort of business bullshit, Kyle informed the capitalist creep that the business bullshit was beneath the billionaire bird enthusiast. Tired of hobnobbing with entitled elitist assholes, Kyle took a taxi to Steve's place. Interesting choice. Upon arriving at the sanctum, he noticed a creepy dude in a trench coat lurking outside and chased the creeper off. Apparently, Steve's neighborhood has a one-in-one-out policy on creepy dudes. The rest of the defenders introduced Kyle to Val's guest, Elena, and the nameless baby. Elena mentioned that she needed to pick up some diapers from her dilapidated apartment, and for some reason, the entire superhero squad decided to accompany her in full costume. When the gang arrived at the rat-infested residence, they were in for a surprise. The good news was, the building seemed to contain less rodents. The bad news was, the building was on fire. A few hours ago, 
Soon after Valkyrie's impromptu extermination gig, a group of snake-themed white supremacist fuckwits called the Sons of the Serpent used a high-tech flamethrower bazooka to ignite the tenement, the majority of whose residents were black and Puerto Rican. Fuck those snake fucks. Harry, the business asshole from Kyle's shitty party, showed up and it turned out that he was the slumlord who owned the building. Harry started yelling at his newly homeless tenants, insisting that they probably started the fire and destroyed their own meager possessions and apartments merely to spite him. Then he spit in one of their faces. That didn't go over too well and the crowd started beating the shit out of their former landlord. Hooray! The defenders intervened and managed to calm everyone down momentarily, but then the Sons of the Serpent showed up and started saying a bunch of racist bullshit. The Hulk took exception to their malicious malarkey and started smashing the shit out of the snake-themed supremacists. Val and Kyle joined in. Hooray! Steve decided that everyone needed to calm down and stop fighting each other, so he used his magic to whip a bunch of fire hoses around and knock the shit out of the combatants on both sides. Shitty move, Steve. The snake-cosplaying arsonist fuckfaces ran away, vowing that they had now hated the defenders as much as they hated nearly everyone else. Gadzooks! What hero will the defenders add to their currently completely Caucasian roster to help them combat these neo-Nazi fuckwits? Which defender is best suited to aid Elena in her infant care? And, after spewing venomous hateful rhetoric and burning down an apartment building, killing the more elderly tenants therein, what horrific act will the Sons of Serpent undertake next? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, Hank Pym, naturally. The Hulk, of course, which is fucking adorable. And the disruption of regularly scheduled late-night television programming. The Fiends. Hank Pym, a.k.a. Ant-Man, a.k.a. Giant-Man, a.k.a. Goliath, a.k.a. Inspector and Sector, probably, but most notably right now, a.k.a. Yellow Jacket, is zipping along above the streets of New York thinking about that one time when he did a pretty good job helping out the Defenders back in Giant Size Defenders number 4. The Avenger alias aficionado is interrupted from his reminiscence when he happens upon a pair of racist assholes wearing snake-themed pajamas with a cummerbund over their noses, creeping around outside of Steve's place. The insectoid Avenger swoops down and pummels the racist ruffians. Hooray! In between punches and kicks, Inspector Insector casually informs the costumed creeps that he's not there in any official capacity as an Avenger, and in fact, he's thinking about quitting the Avengers, and that's something he wanted to talk to Doctor Strange about. Huh. I kind of like the idea of small talk as in-fight banter. I wonder if he's just practicing the rituals of socialization on costumed creeps because he's nervous about putting his social skills into practice with his peer group. This is probably the most I've ever liked Hank Pym. I picture him just, like, beating up a group of muggers and just saying things like, We should really get together again after the holidays calm down. You have a lovely home. Thank you for inviting me in. Biff! Unfortunately, his Sons of the Serpent fisticuff opponents do not share my sentiments. They tell him to shut up and try to shoot him with a ray gun. So the diminutive dynamo beats them up some more. One of the jerks escapes, but Hank drags the other one over to Steve's place for some questioning. A few minutes later, the multi-monikered Marvel arrives at the Sanctorum. The defenders are eager to question the KO'd cobra-clad crumb bum that Hank is dragging with him. Well, most of the defenders are. Hulk is too busy playing with Elena's baby, which is fucking adorable. Nighthawk starts slapping the python pajama punk around and demanding information from him. Hooray! Unfortunately, the racist snake guy doesn't seem to know that much. All he will reveal is that A. He is a racist. 2. He likes snakes. And C. At midnight, the leader of his jerkhole buddies, the self-styled Serpent Supreme, is going to hijack the airwaves and deliver a speech on national television. Because if you can take over every broadcasting network, why wouldn't you do it at midnight, when you'll get the most viewers possible? <sighs> this is why you don't let goths run the media branch of your criminal enterprises. They'll go for drama over efficacy every time. I bet they probably broadcast it from a graveyard, too. The defenders have just finished their interrogation of the serpentine stooge when they are startled by a noise from outside the window. Inspector Insector whips out some kind of a fancy-ass stun gun ray gun and zaps the lurker into a momentary stupor. At first, everyone assumes that the unfortunate looky-loo is another one of those snake fucks, but nope, it turns out to be that apparent peeping Tom that Nighthawk chased off earlier. Val points her magic sword at the vagrant voyeur and demands that he explain himself. Be careful what you wish for, Valkyrie. 
After taking a second to gather some of his wits, the presumed pervert identifies himself as Jack Norris, the estranged husband of the woman whose body Valkyrie now occupies. The revelation freaks the mystical Norse swordswoman the fuck out, and she runs off for a few minutes to go be emotionally distraught by herself. Hank is understandably confused. Steve tells him, Oh, that's right. You weren't here when we had a perfectly reasonable adventure focusing on a nigh-omnipotent harmonica. If you were, this would all make sense. Did you know that one nickname for a harmonica is the Tin Sandwich? I did. I know lots of things. Steve, you said a lot of crazy bullshit in your time, but the idea that the Harmonica of Destiny storyline from Defenders 20 and 21 would explain anything to anyone is maybe the craziest. Anyway, putting the Harmonica Ex Machina aside, hopefully forever, the gang gathered around Steve Strange's weird and eldritch TV set. As the clock strikes midnight, the program abruptly switches from a banal talk show to even more insidious fare. An image of a cobra fills the screen and is soon replaced by the self-styled Serpent Supreme, leader of the Sons of the Serpents. He says a bunch of dumb, shitty, racist shit, and an uncharacteristically observant Nighthawk notes that in both tone and content, the speech isn't that dissimilar to ones given by more mainstream politicians. Racist politicians rising to prominence? Thank goodness this is only a comic book. Anyway, the shitty D-minus Serpentor finishes his white supremacist rant by calling for his followers to rise up and drive everyone but white dudes out of the country, starting in New York City. Valkyrie, who has gathered her composure and returned to the room to watch the speech with her teammates, wonders aloud if anyone will be stupid and awful enough to listen to an insane, bigoted, xenophobic asshole like that. Yeah, I remember wondering that too, Val. Turns out, yup. Suddenly, a loud rumbling noise from outside alerts the defenders that something is amiss. It turns out that an enormous fireball has just gone off in Lower Manhattan, apparently the handiwork of the Sons of the Serpent. Fuck those guys. I'm not calling them the Sons of the Serpent anymore. Assholes like that don't deserve alliteration. I'm going to start calling them something that better conveys the contempt I have for them. Something like the turd-licking shit weasels, or the Los Angeles Lakers. I'll probably go with the first one. Inspector and Sector and the Hulk rush off to try to put out the flames and rescue any victims of the firebomb, while Nighthawk, Doctor Strange, and Valkyrie rush off to question business asshole Harry Holloman and find out if he has any connection to the turd-licking shit weasels. Interesting allocation of resources, guys. Hank instructs the Jade Giant to destroy the abandoned warehouse buildings that surround the fire because he reckons that that ought to put the flames out or stop them from spreading on account of science or something. Hulk does as Yellow Jacket asks probably because Hank left off the part of the instructions where he calls the Hulk behemoth or brute. You paying attention, Steve? Hank swoops down and rescues a couple of kids from getting crushed by a collapsing building. Unfortunately, the insect avenger's plan for a war of attrition against the Inferno isn't progressing quickly enough for the Hulk's taste. The Green Goliath changes tactics and does one of those thunderclap things that he does, where he makes a gust of wind, and it creates a vacuum which puts out the fire or else it just blows out the fire like an enormous birthday candle. It's a little unclear. What is less ambiguous is the gale's effect on Yellow Jacket. The burst of wind knocks him over and he twists his ankle something fierce. Suddenly, like the craven opportunists they are, the turd-licking shit weasels swarm upon the prone Avenger. They beat him unconscious with their snake-shaped clubs and drag him off to their headquarters. Man, fuck those guys. Meanwhile, Valkyrie, Kyle, and Steve head over to Harry Holloman's opulent Long Island home. He greets them rudely at the door and tells them to fuck off or I'll call the cops. So, Steve sends his astral form into the house to go all Ghost of Christmas past on Harry and spook him into opening the door. A frightened Holloman still isn't exactly filled with holiday cheer, so Nighthawk offers to fill that void with knuckle sandwiches unless the piece of crap slumlords admits to being in league with the Los Angeles Lakers. No, wait, I'm sorry, I went with the other one, didn't I? Unless the piece-of-crap slumlord admits to being in league with the turd-licking shit weasels. Despite being appropriately intimidated, Holloman maintains his innocence, insisting that while he admits to being happy about the tenement fire, he had no hand in orchestrating it. Eventually, the trio of defenders is convinced of two things. One, Holloman is a real piece of shit. And B, he probably didn't start the fire. 
Val, Nighthawk, and Steve reluctantly head back to Manhattan to help their comrades douse flames and rescue people. When they arrive at the scene of the destruction, they find the Hulk fruitlessly searching the rubble of the recently ablaze city block for his friend, Bugman. Hey, I wonder if Hank Pym ever went by the alias Bugman. Probably. Suddenly, our heroes are ambushed by a squadron of turd-licking shitweasels. Valkyrie, Steve, and Kyle are almost immediately rendered unconscious by a shitweasel's high-tech ray gun. An enraged Hulk smashes on, valiantly clobbering turd-lickers left and right while absorbing hundreds of ray gun blasts. The turd-licking shitweasels unleash one of their secret weapons. Tapping their snake-shaped metal clubs on the ground, the staffs transform into electrified robotic serpents which coil around the Hulk. Even the combined forces of the robo-snakes and the ray guns seems to be no match for the rampaging Hulk. Until they are. Eventually, with all of the turd-licking shitweasels and all of their robo-snakes attacking in unison, the Hulk is finally overwhelmed by sheer numbers and is knocked out. Shitty. The turd-licking shitweasels drag Val, Kyle, and Steve off as their prisoners, leaving the Hulk lying unconscious in the street, reasoning that even if they wanted to take him prisoner, they probably couldn't lift him and wouldn't be able to keep him captive once he awoke. Unbeknownst to his shitweasel antagonists, as they drag off his teammates, the Incredible Hulk slowly reverts to Bruce Banner. To be continued. Hey, if the turd-licking shitweasels media director really is a racist goth, I wonder if it's Morrissey. Fucking Morrissey. Interrupting the Tonight Show. I bet it was one with a good guest host, too. Probably Kirk Douglas or McLean Stevenson. They both guest hosted in May of 1975. Stupid Morrissey. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing? I am also doing well. We just had some eggnog. Mm-hmm. That was a nice time. Yep. It is Christmas Eve as we are recording this. Yep. We got some big fat snowflakes falling down. Yep. Very Christmas eve It's very festive. Very festive. Mm-hmm. It is now occurring to me that perhaps heavy cream and eggs mixed with alcohol is not the best thing to do to your throat before recording a podcast. Why not? Touche. What'd you think of this issue? <laughs> uh, I enjoyed reading it. It felt a little bit like a kind of a placeholder. A little bit thin. Mm-hmm. It was fine. It didn't bother me too much. That's nice. That's it seems like very faint praise High indeed. Praise. <laughs> didn't bother me too much. Raves, Nathaniel <laughs> Hubbard. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe somebody just wanted to see more of the Yellow Jacket. Yeah. So Yellow Jacket's back in this issue. Makes a okay showing for himself, kind of. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's weird to cover issues from this era that deal with racism. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that they are having issues that deal with racism, and I feel like we almost have to kind of grade on a curve Mm -hmm. for stuff from this era because it's much better than a lot of stuff that was coming out at this time and after this time. However, there's still a bunch of shit that is weird about it and doesn't quite ring true. Hmm. It's a little bit awkward to have the bad guys be a racist organization and the good guys that are opposing them are all white. Mm -hmm. Which you've got a creative staff that at this time is almost entirely white, not just at this comic book, but at Marvel Comics in general. I think they may have had a black illustrator at this point. I'm not sure if I think it was Billy Graham was working with the company at this time or not. But I don't know. It's one of those where when, when you read stuff from this area, you you're often find yourself thinking, gosh, I wish there was more representation of different races in this. And then when there are representations of different race, you start thinking, oh, but not like this. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is this issue doesn't do a terrible job with it. And grading on a curve, it seems fine, given what was coming out at this time. But still kind of problematic and not great and kind of condescending in the way that we deal with things like the the Sons of the Serpent attacking urban communities that are filled with black and Puerto Rican tenants, and those people have to be defended by white superheroes. Don't And old people. Old people defend them as well? No, the, the <laughs> description where it was like, you know, the most downtrodden, blah, 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 of the tenements, blah, 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 black people, Puerto Rican people, old people. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's... 
Was he just trying to? It's yeah. It's like well, let's. I I mean, there are going to be so some of our readers aren't crazy about uh, black and Puerto Rican people. Um, <laughs> we'll, throw, we'll throw old people in there too. We would really want to drive home. These are bad guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was a funny choice of it. It is an odd, odd triptych to have. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as you were saying, it was a fine issue. It read pretty quick. Like, not a ton happened, but a lot of little things happened, but it didn't really seem that it advanced the story that much. Mm-hmm. I guess the first one ends with the beat. We established that the Sons of Serpent are the bad guys. And then in this one, oh, it looks like they are they actually are kind of a threat to the defenders. They are powerful. Also, the kind of more interesting thing to me was the connection between the business empire of this shitty guy that wanted to get into business with um with bird nose basically using the sons of the serpent ostensibly as a means to achieve his business goals and well i i think it was serendipitous on his part at least according to dr strange uh because when they question him their their assumption is just like you benefit from this why would you bother? You don't have to worry about the fact that your apartment buildings weren't up to code. You don't need to make any repairs if they burn down and then you get to evict everybody and build your high-rise apartments. You you benefit from this situation. And there was the assumption that he was behind it, but he says he wasn't and Doctor Strange is like, I believe him. Yeah, so maybe it was just coincidental. We started talking about the Sons of the Serpent. Let's talk about the Sons of the Serpent. Why do they have the 13 colonies flag thing up on their conference Because they're assholes. It's, I mean, as then, so now, where the don't tread on me Mm -hmm. thing. First of all, I think it's just like, no, there's a snake. We like snakes. Okay. Found us out in a snake Um, sale. But I think trying to probably tie them in, it, it's something that the particular don't tread on me thing is something that I kind of conflate with a lot of contemporary shitty Tea Party and current militia and racist folks. Um, and I think that was, yeah, I think it is mm-hmm. something that is tied in with white nationalism and that kind of false patriotism. I think you see that kind of imagery used a lot. And it really, it, it was kind of jarring to see that because you will still see that used today. And there's a lot about the Sons of Serpent and their particular speeches that they give that seem super relevant to recent politics. Yeah, that struck me as just a huge bummer that this thing is from 1975, and here we are, 2017, almost 2018. And And in some ways, it's even more relevant now than it was then. Yeah. It's, I mean, maybe not more, but yeah, I mean, fuck. George Wallace didn't win when he ran in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's some shitty shit. But yeah, that that whole speech that they give that is like super dense text, we have the reaction of the defenders when they listen to it say like, they don't really sound that different than other politicians. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the takeaway. It's a little bit more overt. There's more, more regular whistles, less dog whistles in terms of the racism. Mm-hmm. But you could have dropped that speech into early recent politics and not have it stick out that much. We do have the idea that perhaps they are not the most politically savvy organization despite that because they decide to hijack the television airwaves and use whatever technology they are using to make their message broadcast across the country on every station Mm -hmm. at midnight. When your viewership is at its peak. Exactly. That seems like a very odd choice. Maybe you interrupt all in the family. You know, maybe you, uh, you you come on a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe he just thought they would have more like West Coast viewers. So they're like, oh, well, that'll be nine o'clock then. That seems about right. They're on the Eastern Seaboard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They but just they're, they're just like, I just know that our demographic is going to be uh, on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. So they'll really, they'll really eat this stuff up. Mm. Um, despite the fact that they do explicitly state they're, they're going to start their revolution in New York, which also... Seems like an odd choice. I mean, it seems odd to me that they would start with such a diverse area. Like, it seems like you would maybe shore up where you would have more support initially. Mm. But, hey, I'm not the Sons of the Serpent. Thank goodness. So, you know, there's that. But bad decisions, and I'm glad that they're making bad decisions. But overall, they do a pretty good job. I mean, you know, considering how shitty they are, they beat up all of the defenders and take them captive. Mm -hmm. They got thick helmets. They got real thick helmets, which 
surprised the shit out of Yellow Jacket. Yep. Got he, himself shot. Yep. And then twisted his ankle. He had a bad time. He had a bad day. He did some things very well. Saved two kids. He saved two kids. He uh he demonstrated surprising leadership that surprised Steve at least because the Hulk listened to him immediately. Like Yellow Jacket was just like, okay, here's what you need to do. Go do this. And then the Hulk went and did it. And Steve was just like, Hulk never does what I say right away. Hmm. hmm. Yep. Hulk never has a second cup of coffee at my house. <laughs> I think that may have had something to do with the fact that for all his other faults, Yellow Jacket didn't insult the Hulk while telling him what to do. Mm-hmm. Steve's maybe trying to copy that. He's like, Hulk, go destroy those buildings to set up a barrier against the fire, you, you ugly behemoth. Why isn't he doing it? Mm-hmm. The other thing that the Sons of Serpents have, besides nice thick helmets, is like crazy magic sticks that turn into... Cyber snakes. Cyber snakes, which from the cover... I totally thought Dr. Octopus was going to appear in this issue. Yep. That is totally what they look like. There were a number of things that were misleading about the cover, too. Mm. For one thing, the text on the cover. Valkyrie stands alone as searing death reaches for the defenders with coils of electrified fury. That didn't happen. Uh, there were some coils. Sure, but Valkyrie didn't stand alone. That framed it like she was going to be like the standout hero of this issue. Mm -hmm. And that was very much not the case. Nope. I mean, she did a fine job dealing with some intense emotional situations, but, I mean, clearly the Hulk was the last one standing in the the fight and really took on the Sons of the Serpent more or less by himself for a lot of it mm -hmm. and got called a gumball. Yeah, big green gumball. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> I wish it wasn't the Sons of the Serpent who called him that. I know. Jerks. Yeah. Kyle calls him Greenskin earlier, and I don't know, it's... Just in the context of this whole issue where it's all talking about race and identity and, and then... And, and it also reminded me of the time when the Hulk called all of the Tibetans yellow skins before punching them, mm -hmm. which I, I really like to pretend didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's an odd choice. Overall, Nighthawk did a bad job in this issue, but he did a bad job in a way that I kind of liked. Like, he was a hothead, but if he's going to be a hothead in terms of threatening and abusing racists and threatening and abusing racist scumbag landlords. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm cool with that. He wants to play a bad cop to Steve's fucking disinterested cop. <laughs> yeah. It really did seem like they were setting up a game of bad cop disinterested cop. It's so funny too, like the way that Steve Strange gets Holloman to agree to the interview that they have with him. It's just like shows up in his room sitting on his bed in his astral <laughs> form. He's like, Holloman. <laughs> it had kind of a, maybe it's because of the time of year we're reading this, but it did have almost like a like, are they going to launch into a full Christmas carol here? Ah, yep. Is this going to end with Holloman leaning out his window and telling a kid to get by the biggest goose in the window? I am the ghost of Christmas past, <laughs> Holloman. I'm also the ghost of Christmas present and Christmas future. Most people couldn't do that. <sighs> I'm the ghostiest ghost. Oh, Steve. But yeah, I did like that they threatened Holloman. That was nice. Holloman's such a piece of shit. Yeah. Man, fuck that guy. Steve really annoyed me in this issue with his just... I get that he has sorceress instincts that tells him that, like, the guy can be trusted. But when that is put next to the fact that he just dropped him because the snake people told him to in the last issue, and the narrative that describes the previous issue at the beginning of this one really paints Steve in a very benevolent light. Like, he was the only calm head when everything was going down in this last one who calmly and rationally beat everyone who was fighting with fire hoses. Mm-hmm. And let the bad guys get away. And let the bad guys get away. It also paints it like it, there's a little bit of revisionism because I think part of the reason they let the snake guys go last issue was because they did not know at the time that they were responsible for the tenement fire. Mm. Like, they lit the fire, then ran away, then came back and like defended Holloman. Mm -hmm. In this issue, it makes it seem as though they knew that they had caused the fire to begin with, which makes it even more inexplicable that Steve would just be like, I guess everybody's wrong here and just whips everybody with fire hoses and runs away. Bad job, Steve. Yeah, bad job, Steve. Didn't care for that. He also does something that annoys me, which is referencing karma. It annoys me in a couple of ways. First of all, it's always weird to me when Steve Strange talks about 
religions that are a, still a going concern in the same way he does with, like, the weird made-up religion shit that he says. Mm-hmm. It's fine, and I kind of understand it, but it always strikes me as a little bit odd and just, like, that's kind of offensive. Like, not crazy about that. Also, and conversely, I get annoyed when anybody talks about karma. It seems like the way that it is interpreted in this country most of the time is as sort of an Eastern version of Calvinism, where if something bad happens to you, then you probably did something to deserve it. And if something good happens to you, then you probably did something to deserve it. Instead of just like, you know what, shit happens, man. Mm. And it, it there's almost an inherent victim blaminess to it that, that I don't care for. So it bothered me that Steve was referencing it in that way as well. In summation... Fucking Steve. Shit happens. Did you know <laughs> that shit happens? I would like it so much better if he ended almost every one of his panels with that. It's like, oh, Kyle, did you know that shit happens? <laughs> At one point, I was talking to a friend who had uh, just been through an acrimonious breakup, and I was friends with both people, and he was talking to me about how like why would she do that and i was just sick of it and my response was well people do things (laughs) (laughs) it didn't go over particularly well (laughs) at least you didn't say did you know (laughs) i i I think if i had it over to do over again i might just like did you know that shit happens Hmm. sometimes people just do things so swears hub One of the other major things that happens in this issue is we are introduced to the non-silhouette form of one Jack Norris. What are your thoughts on Mr. Norris? Uh, I may be reading him in not a charitable way, but it It's hard to read him in a charitable way. It's... Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, Val is, or Barbara Norris is an attractive lady, and that seems to be his primary thing thing that he's interested in is her her physical form and not at all well her, the rest you know her actual you know being or soul or personality or to be fair he doesn't know any of that yet perhaps what doesn't she tell him she's just like she's like dude i i have no memory of i you right, or anything right i i can understand there being a period of adjustment to that so you think he just it was just sort of like like he didn't he yeah just I think he was Charlie it. Brown adult talking okay. the thing he was just hearing trumpets okay um, I don't know about that I I think it's I think you would probably have a hard time processing that if if the woman you were married to was like the next time you ran into her she's like uh, I don't know you and also now I'm a fierce warrior yeah that's true I, I, I mean I like, think yeah, there would, I'd okay, be like, good one. Uh, yeah okay um that's nuts. Which is kind of his reaction. That being said, he also just seems like a dick. I, well, I, I, I'm kind of sympathetic to his situation, but it's hard not to read it as him being like, well, you know, it's uh, I'm married to this body, so, uh, you know, that means you're still my wife. That's pretty much my problem with it. And also, yeah, I would probably have the that's not the reaction too if in the same situation but he moves on from that to be like anyway none of that really matters because i love you yeah which is well yeah but you're only one half of the equation man so well and not only that that bothers me less than him insisting that she loves him like that he's just like no no you can't react like that you love me Mm -hmm. that's not a thing you get to say like you don't get to determine that the other thing that makes it a little bit less sympathetic for him is they were estranged. So they had broken up before this. And it almost seems like he is taking advantage of this situation. Like, she was his estranged wife, Mm -hmm. which meant that they were in some stage of at least being separated. Maybe they were still trying to work things out, but now he's just sweeping any past trouble they had under the rug. And almost, uh, have you ever seen the movie While You Were Sleeping? No. It's a Sandra Bullock romantic comedy. Where she, uh, <laughs> she saves a guy who's about to get hit by a train, but he gets, uh, he goes into a coma. Mm-hmm. And then through a series of misunderstandings, her family is convinced that they were engaged to one another and she just kind of goes along with it. Mm-hmm. And then when he does recover, then 
by that time she's fallen in love with his brother, Bill Pullman. But for a period of time anyway, she's just like, no, you might not remember it, but we're engaged to be married. And they're about to be married. I kind of feel like that might be what Jack Norris is doing. Like, we don't have any proof that he's the guy that she used to be married to. He could have just like, oh, there's an amnesiac blonde lady in town. I'll roll up on that. Don't you know me? I'm your husband. Oh, that's You love me. Creepy, creepy. Yeah, he's not as charming as Sandra Bullock. No. <laughs> She's very charming. Good. I went through a weird period of movie watching a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. I'd had kind of an anxiety attack and just was like, I just want to watch formulaic things that will not cause me any stress where I won't be worried about any of the characters. Mm. Uh, which was when I watched A Christmas Prince, which that was kind of like a... Uh, like a Netflix uh, chicken game that I was playing with Lisa. What? You know, like where it's like, what do you want to watch? I don't care. What do you want to watch? I don't care. Oh, not oh, like Angry Birds. Fine. No, 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 no. Okay. I mean, I guess you could end up watching Angry Birds in a similar way. No, like a Netflix chicken game. Is Angry Birds, you can play games on Netflix? I don't know. It just <laughs> reminded me of the thing where you're throwing chickens or pigs or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That old chestnut. Yeah. Um, but right. yeah, and then I also watched a movie called Trouble with the Curve, which is maybe one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Curve. Yeah, it's... Uh, like a grading curve? No, like a curveball in baseball. Oh. It's uh, Clint Eastwood plays Amy Adams' dad, and he's a bad dad, but a good baseball scout. It's a weird, like... Did you see Moneyball? No. It's actually pretty good. I heard it was good. But it's all about, like... No, there's a new way to look at baseball where we follow statistics and advanced metrics and we use computers to figure this shit out. It's basically like this movie was just like, no, 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 fuck all that. The way to do it is to be a very old person who is a good baseball scout. Mm. It's a very terrible movie. Good to know. Yep. All right. Anyway, this has been Hub's Film Corner. Go watch uh, while you were sleeping. You could do a lot worse. Peter Boyle's in it. Sandra Bullock, good. Clint Eastwood, not so good. Agreed. What the fuck were we talking about? <laughs> oh, Jack Norris. He was really yeah. trying to Sandra Bullock it up, but That's he's right. no Sandra right. Bullock. Mm -mm. Yeah, fuck that guy. No charm. Well, let's see. What else do we got here? There's a scene where they say it's not a dick punch, but it really looks like one. Oh, who who is this dick punch? It's on uh, page seven. They call it out as a solar plexus, but I don't know. Sure looks like it could be a dick punch. Oh, boy. Yeah, that panel's going to come up later. That, that <laughs> I hadn't even saw it as that, but... Yeah, that's a, that's a hell of a dick punch. Well done. Yep. There's a few just kind of funny one-off moments that happen in panels in this. Another one of them you pointed out was in the flashback scene where we're showing the Sons of the Serpent using their high-tech rocket launcher flamethrower thing. Mm -hmm. One of the Sons of the Serpent is just like throwing up his hands in the air and just being like, Yay! Fire! It reminded me of... You watched Mr. Show, right? Mm -hmm. You know the must the mustard anis commercial. Mm, it's not ringing a bell. It's uh, it frees you from the tyranny of the two jar system of having to use mayonnaise and mustard. Uh. Um, but there was an ad for it where there was a guy dressed like Abraham Lincoln who was freeing people from the uh, the tyranny <laughs> oh, no. of the two jar system. And at the end of it, they are carrying him on his shoulders and he is just pumping his arms in the air excitedly. I think of that all the time because he's doing it really, really fast. Just like, <laughs> yay, yay, yay. I was just pumping my arms very fast in the air saying yay. Vigorous. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Well, that's probably what that serpent guy was doing. Yeah. It seems like. Yep. Kind of funny. I thought so. Another kind of funny panel that we get, which... It's outside of the scope of the main issue, but every time I saw it, I laughed. This may come up in a post-credit sequence, but the Hostess Fruit Pie ads for the Marvel Universe begin in this issue for us. There is a dude who has the dopiest look on his face. <laughs> I call him Goofy Pie Lover, but he is being offered a Hostess Fruit Pie and saying, Gee, you got Hostess Fruit Pies? And he's making the dopiest face in the world. And while he's holding an old-style Tommy gun with the big, like, looks like a film canister in the front, mm -hmm. it's fucking delightful. It is a hilarious depiction of a yep. bad criminal. Pretty good. 
Let's see, what else? We got a cellular disruptor gun. Yeah, so that would just kill the guy, right? It stops, they said, only for, like, a short period of time. Yes, but what does it do for a short period of time, Corey? Makes your cells not go. It... I mean, yes, that is true. It doesn't make your cells not go. Every cell in his body has momentarily been stopped from functioning. And in the seconds it requires for the number... Yeah. So for a few seconds, every cell in his body stops functioning. So he's dead. For a few seconds. I think that would have some lasting implications. Yep. Like, at least severe brain damage. Well, they didn't want to... Possibly some pretty bad bowel trouble, too. Oh. I would imagine that Ray would make him poop himself. Mm, yeah, probably just for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not not a lot of poop. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, bummer. Just, uh, and right in the sanctorum, too. I would maybe do this interrogation outside of the sanctorum. Because mm. I would bet this dude is just... He was outside when they shot him. They probably checked him out, gave him a, the whole sniff test before yeah i can't imagine he passed that sniff test maybe maybe steve like magicked away all of the vile bodily fluids that <laughs> yellow jacket's gun made him be yellow jacket <laughs> i'd like to talk to you about this gun it's a pretty good gun huh disrupts every cell in your body <laughs> really really makes them poop themselves well is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into the minutiae yeah count fucking dante man is not a guy in the comic book per se but there's an ad in there that is it it is one of the more ubiquitous ads in comic books from this era and it is fucking amazing it might just be the name count but he's got like a dracula-esque quality to him like i want to see movies as a martial artist with kind of a big afro doing weird tai chi moves at you it's really cool i'm just gonna read the text for it Count Dante is the deadliest man alive. Mm-hmm. Count Dante is the undefeated supreme grandmaster of the fighting arts. Which fighting arts, Corey? All of them. All of them. Mm-hmm. Count Dante won the world overall fighting arts championship, master and expert divisions. After defeating the world's top masters of judo, boxing, wrestling, kung fu, karate, aikido, etc. In the death matches. Whoa. On August 1st, 1967, the World Federation of Fighting Arts crowned the Count the world's deadliest fighting arts champion and master. And you can get the secrets to his Black Dragon Fighting Society. How can I do that? Well, Corey, it's free. You just need to send away to the Black Dragon Fighting Society. And there's an address, but I'm not going to give it to you because I don't want you to... You're just afraid of what uh, I'm afraid happen. of what I might unleash. Yeah. With great power comes great responsibility, Corey. You think I'm not ready? I worry that you might not be ready. Oh, man. I don't know if the world is ready for you being the world grand champion of the fighting arts. Yeah, Maybe you keep practicing your karate hugs, mm-hmm. and then we, we can... We'll revisit this soon. Okay. Okay. That's I appreciate your restraint, Corey. You're welcome. Count Dante looks fucking amazing, though. He sure does. Does pretty badass. Very badass. Mm-hmm. You know what else would be badass? What? Hearing a Minutia song. Oh, okay. Hit it, Rick! We got Minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just Minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got Minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, uh, what minutia would you like to cover first, Corey? Okay, let's talk about artwork. Okay, wow, really breaking out the big guns first. Yeah. What was your favorite panel? I think my absolute favorite was probably one that I call the whoosh chakra effect panel. The whoosh chakra. Yeah, and it's when the Hulk claps his hands together with such force that it makes a giant uh, wind explosion that uh, stops a fire. It's pretty cool. Now, why a chakra? Oh, because there are these kind of concentric circles or waves coming out from him, each illustrated in a different sort of pastel-ish mm. color. And it reminded me of those chakra charts that are like, you know, this is, you know, your blue part, your light, <laughs> your light green now, part, and your purple part. Do you think it's his root chakra? Huh? I don't know. What Does that, that mean you're ding-dong? What? 
Isn't that your root chakra? I don't know who chakra is, man. I don't know. You brought it up. I've said, oh, I've, maybe this is on a different poster. I don't <laughs> The one that I saw didn't have any dicks. Okay. Well, it's still a pretty good panel. Yeah. It's real nice. It's pretty, pretty good. No root chakra, but. Yeah. But yeah, no, that was, that was a really nice panel. I liked that one a lot, too. There were a couple of Hulk ones. One of the ones I really enjoyed was the, uh, I called it the baby and the gargoyle because it is... Yeah, what is up with the gargoyle head thing? I don't know. It's one of those weird things that I I think that might be another one of Steve's pets. We saw his like pet, like framed picture of his pet iguana in a different issue. Mm-hmm. I think maybe he's just got a weird little like pet demon thing that's hanging out there. But it's just like the head. But yeah, it's just, well, you, I mean, presumably there's the rest of his body's happening on the part of the, that the panel cut off. But uh, yeah, it's the Hulk playing with a baby, which is really cute. And Hulk is saying, nice baby, baby, give big smile for Hulk and Bugman. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Yellow Jacket's in there. Sure. And that's nice. I really hope they're not going to have Yellow Jacket just join the team. Mm. They hinted that they might want to in like the letters column of the last episode. Mm. Well, I don't know. I think they could do better. Sure. Could bring Namor back. Could definitely bring Namor back. It's been a while since he's unquit the team. Mm-hmm. Gotta get in there. But that panel's really nice. It's just always nice to see Hulk playing with a baby. Yep. Uh, makes me happy. And there's their weird gargoyle hanging out there, which I like. I also did have, it's kind of extra textual, but I did like the pie lover panel. <laughs> oh. From the ad. But my favorite two panels, one of them is, it's a close-up of Valkyrie dropping Dragon Fang because Jack Norris has just identified himself mm-hmm. as her husband or more specifically as Barbara Norris's husband. And it's just a close-up of her hand as Dragon Fang is falling out of it. I think it's the first really close look we've gotten at the pommel of Dragon Fang, which has a dragon head at the very base of the pommel, mm-hmm. which is really cool looking. And it's just got this clink noise, but it's the word clink is drawn all like wavy style to like mm-hmm. imply that it's a chilly moment somehow. Mm. But I, I thought that was really well done. But I think my absolute favorite is the Hulk panel where all of the snake men are shooting at the Hulk and he is just smashing at them and continuing to come towards them and yelling, nothing can stop the Hulk as he is being shot by seven ray guns at the same time in his chest. And it's making an explosion that only his hands and head are coming out of at the at the Sons of the Serpent. And it's really cool. I had that one as my backup. Yeah. Snake men are Hulk's enemies. Hulk hates snake men. Hulk will crush them. And puny light guns will not stop Hulk. Mm. That's a cool thing to call lasers. Yep. Pretty good. He's almost right. Well, yeah. he's right about the he's lasers. He's right. Yeah, no, it's so. the lasers in conjunction with, I guess they were using some kind of gamma radiation on him. And then also those weird, like, electrical coil snake things were attacking him. Yep, cyber snakes. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Corey, sartorially speaking, what fashion choices that were made in this issue would you like to discuss? Despite him being kind of a bum, I thought Mr. Norris's outfit was pretty dope. I also liked it. Uh, you got you got yourself a trench coat, mm-hmm. you got some green pants, mm-hmm. and you got a purple turtleneck. Yep. It's also almost like he's going for a reverse Hulk type thing. Oh. Like purple top mm-hmm. and green pants. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe trying to curry favor with the Hulk, like if he'd scouted out the situation, oh. much like a certain Mrs. Bullock did in a movie while you were sleeping. Wait, she dressed like the Hulk? Oh yeah, it's a great movie. Oh. <laughs> you should have just said that in the first place. <laughs> Sorry, I really buried the lead there. Yeah. Yeah, no, purple turtleneck with a trench coat and green pants. It's a good look. It's a good look. Big lapels. Uh, big lapels. <laughs> do you remember the time when we were i think we were kind of drunk and uh you just grabbed me by my jacket and said are we not men do our jackets not have lapels yep that was great thanks yeah and also just i mean it's barely a fashion thing but the snake staffs that the sons of the serpent have those things are fucking cool mm-hmm. I, I hate to give them any props at all but like first of all just carrying a giant walking stick that looks like a giant metal stick that looks like a snake uh, that's pretty pretty cool pretty badass and then you tap it on the ground and then it turns into a like living metal snake that attacks the hulk Mm -hmm. shit i mean fuck those guys but nice sticks yeah good technology yep what were your favorite words in this issue 
I I didn't go too fancy this time around. I really liked the panel that we referenced earlier. The potential dick punch? No, no, the the one where they like Hulk gets shot um, by everybody on page twenty seven at the same oh, time. Oh right. And he basically you already read it essentially. Okay. But the way in which he is saying like nothing can stop Hulk is just super yeah. badass. Yeah, I agree. I would like to reference the other panel that we were talking about. Where you were calling it a dick punch, which I had not noticed that that was where that looked like that punch was happening. But the words in that, right for the gut this time, he mutters as his fist lunges hard into the serpent's solar plexus. Why Jay, which is I guess what they're calling Yellow Jacket, can feel the wind rushing from his foe's gaping jaws. A veritable summer breeze on this chill winter night. What a, what a delightful way to punch somebody. Yeah, have no them breathe shit. On you. No shit. Oh boy, I'm get, getting a little bit chilly. I better punch some jerks in the tummy yeah. and uh, make them breathe warm at me. Yeah, gross. Gross, but Actually. man, pretty, pretty cool. There's also the speech that the Sons of the Serpent give. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it is a dense speech. It mm-hmm. is actually, I think, to give the letter a break and because it was such a long speech... It just takes up the whole bottom half of the page, and it is typed instead of hand-lettered. But it is very much the kind of speech a racist politician would give, and it is characterized as sounding familiar, and he's saying things in such a reasonable tone that you almost don't realize what awful shit he's saying. And I really thought that was well handled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had some backup words, too. I liked how Valkyrie greeted Barbara's estranged husband by calling him, because he was doing this creepy, you know, peeping Tom thing, and she referred to him as my curious friend. (laughs) That's pretty good. That's a really nice way to put it. Well, maybe. I mean, I I think that it's like the threatening kind of calling somebody friend. Mm Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I, I did dig that. That was great. And really the way that she dealt with the, the whole thing, too. Like, Steve and Wong are whispering about, do you think she's okay? Which, it's a little condescending, but I do like that he's expressing concern for his friend who's dealing with some emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. But she's, yeah, there's no need to whisper, Stephen, and there's no need for concern. I've regained my composure, and I have not forgotten my responsibility. So, yeah, badass. Not in the way that she is depicted as being a badass on the cover, but... Showing remarkable emotional resilience. Well done. Speaking of people doing a good job of things. In this issue, who do you believe was the best defender? And conversely, who? Who Mm. was the worst offender? Okay. Let's start with the best first. Okay. Who was the best? I feel like I should probably change it up at some point, but I'm going to still just go with the Hulk in this one. He, he did the best. stops the fire that saves the city. And he didn't start the fire. He stops the fire. Yeah, I know. But oh, it was oh, always oh I see what you're... Since the I, world was yeah, turning. Okay. Thank you for that. Lovely reference. And uh, makes, a ba- makes a baby smile. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No, he does, he does a great job. He comes up with a better fire putting out plan than the ostensible scientist who he is interacting with. Uh, Yellow Jacket tells him to destroy the circle of abandoned buildings that is around the fire and that that will cut off the source of the flames Make or a, something. A barrier. Yeah. Doesn't seem to be working. Nope. And so the Hulk is just like, well, I will clap my hands and create a vacuum that will put out the fire. That's better science than the scientist's science plan. And well executed. I mean, it does give Yellow Jacket a bum ankle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he does a, he does a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was also my choice for the best defender. Conversely, who was the worst offender? I actually had a little trouble. I was kind of splitting hairs. I don't know. Maybe it's just because he's been such a dick in previous issues. But mostly because he seemed the least effective out of the bunch i i went with uh kyle i went with bird nose oh really mm-hmm. huh I, as as we said i agree that he did a bad job but he did a bad job in a way that i enjoyed so i didn't i didn't give him the, the mess like i liked that he was just like <laughs> i didn't give him the mess you know that common phrase that people use <laughs> yeah, right. when they've had maybe a bit too much alcoholic eggnog <laughs> um but yeah i didn't give him the mess uh because i liked the fact that if he's going to be portrayed as a hothead <laughs> yeah having him play bad cop to steve's indifferent cop i enjoyed i actually went with yellow jacket really okay i do like the fact that 
unlike the rest of the defenders, he did initially start off by just catching and beating up two sons of the serpent. Mm -hmm. That was good. Mm -hmm. Other than that, his intentions are good. And I actually like him in this issue as a character better than I do in most of his appearances. But he starts off by not kicking a guy in the head hard enough to Mm -hmm. knock him out. And he assumes that he's knocked the guy out. Mm -hmm. And in comic books, knocking somebody out by hitting them is kind of a given. Mm -hmm. Like everybody just has soft baby skulls, apparently, Mm -hmm. in the comic books. And is just instantly unconscious when you hit them on the head. Okay. Not that I would recommend doing that to babies. Okay. Just, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, we're on the same page. Yeah, okay. Good. This, you don't need to write that down? Nope. Okay, don't have babies on the head. No problem. Okay, good. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> unless they're in a comic book? I'm going to say it's unlikely that you're going to find yourself in a comic book, just as a general rule. Okay. Probably safest if you don't hit any babies on the head. Got it. Okay. But he doesn't even hit that comic book man on the baby part of his head hard enough to knock him out, uh, which... Wait, Yellow Jacket hit a baby on the head? No, no, he hit us on a serpent on the head, but everybody in a comic book has a baby head. Got it. It's obvious, Corey. Well, um, okay. So he doesn't do that. As I said, he comes up with a less good science plan for putting out a fire than the Hulk does. Mm. And then he twists his ankle and gets beaten up by a bunch of dudes. Well, to be fair, his ankle twisting happens because of the Hulk clap. Yeah, but still. Makes it hard to fly. But still, just like... it Saves two kids. He does save two kids. And I appreciate that. And he didn't call the Hulk a behemoth, so the Hulk listened to him. Mm -hmm. But... Didn't punch any babies? He also didn't punch any babies. To be fair, I don't think anybody in this issue punched a baby. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're starting to take my advice. Yep. I... It just... He didn't come across seeming particularly effective. Uh, He's the first one to get captured. And yeah, it's because he twisted his ankle because the Hulk made a loud clap. But I don't know, man. It, It just... He's like, oh, I could shrink myself, but I can't concentrate because of this pain. You can fly in your suit. He doesn't fly away either. Maybe he ran out of juice. He ran out of flying juice? Batteries or whatever. Yeah, maybe. It's not a magic flying suit, right? It's a science suit. No, but I mean, fuck, you're going to go fight some evil snake dudes, pack an extra battery. That's still on him. That's harsh. I'm sorry. But uh, like I said, I liked him better in this issue, but he was unable to deliver a KO kick. He had a bad fire plan, and he twisted his ankle. So, he's the worst offender. Now, I think you had maybe a little bit of trouble with this next one, because you told me you did. Who in this issue had to act like the fat boys in Crush Groove and be a sucker? Yeah. Acting in a way that is contrary to their previously established characterization or motivation. After... Some pondering the topic, I came up with uh, with Hank Pym because he is often, as I have seen him written, always seems to have an answer and, or at least think he has an answer and very confidently knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene in here where he doesn't have the full story, which is the Barbara Norris and her ex thing. Yeah. And was just basically like, guys, am I just like too slow to get this? Or what is, do I, what's, does this not make any sense? What is going on? I don't know. So that was why I gave him this. I think that's fair. I also chose Hank Pym for displaying virtues that are uncharacteristic to him. Specifically, he is described by the other characters as being a good natural leader. Uh, in that the Hulk will, he, he immediately comes up with a plan, tells the Hulk what to do. The Hulk follows the plan. It's like a, like a, like a, like a, like a sex machine. Uh, no. <laughs> no, not that. Um, <laughs> like the way that a point guard would be described as like a floor general. Like that he just like immediately like sees what's happening, what needs to happen, acts decisively. That is not the Hank Pym that is portrayed in any other comic book. He certainly has his virtues and his vices, but he is really never shown being a leader and that he is immediately, upon rejoining this new team and fighting along their side for one of the first times, shows this amazing leadership ability. That's not Hank Pym. Mm -hmm. He's more like a LaMarcus Aldridge, where he's got all the tools, but he's just uncomfortable in a leadership role and doesn't thrive in that situation. Mm. So that is why I chose Hank Pym. Okay. He also was not a sex machine in this issue, but that is in keeping with his character. (laughs) (laughs) Corey, in this issue, what was your favorite sound effect? Oh, there's a few good ones, but the one that's the dick punch that's not a dick punch. Right. I had the same one. (laughs) Hunt! (laughs) Hunt! 
is the sound of a punch-induced summer breeze. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. I also did like I mentioned the clink of uh, Valkyrie dropping Dragon Fang. Mm-hmm. Um, just that it's done with the wavy lines to show that it is a chilling moment. But yeah, no, the the I I gotta go with the. Unpleasant. And very evocative. Yeah. Very evocative. Well, with all of that minutia dispensed with, Corey, in the year of our Lord, 1975, and the month of our Lord, May. Mm. What do you want to call the Wong one this time? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe he put the Wong foot forward? Okay. How did Wong put the Wong foot forward? Well, there's a lot of ankle injuries going on around this time. Not only does Yellow Jacket have a, a nasty twisted ankle from his adventuring, mm-hmm. Wong, similarly, is convalescing, nursing a very badly twisted ankle. Oh, dear. Yep. Applying the rest ice compression elevation method to it, getting over as fast as he can. So, how did Wong twist his ankle, you may be wondering. I was wondering that. Well, you might think it's from uh, practicing some dance moves, in which case you would be right. Oh, good. You might think it would be from one of the popular tunes of the time. Like I, I did think that. Rhinestone Cowboy. But sure, everybody was just dancing. Not that, that one. <laughs> Wasn't that? Wasn't uh, Fight the Power by the Isley Brothers? No. That was making its way up the charts. It was a lesser known number by uh, a band goes by the name of the Goodies. Oh. Who were able to reach number 79 on the charts <laughs> with their dance hit, The Funky Gibbon. Oh boy. That is a crazy song. It is one of the craziest. <laughs> and Wong was just dancing his heart out, having a good time, slipped on the floor. Oh boy. Twisted the shit out of his ankle. Wow. Also, really didn't want Steve to know how or what had happened, so he's just like, yeah, I heard it, you know, doing um, martial arts. Well, fair made, enough. Made up a story. And that's how Wong put his Wong foot forward? <laughs> yes. Well, it was a month of mistakes for Wong. No, oh, no. A month of musical-inspired mistakes, <laughs> in fact. Because in May of 1975, Apple Records closed down, mm. and Wong was very upset by that. Now, Wong never gave a shit about the Beatles particularly. They were fine, but he never saw what the big deal was. Mm -hmm. But Wong was a huge Badfinger fan. Just couldn't get enough of Badfinger. They were the first band to sign on Apple Records. Badfinger. But Wong's a big fan of Badfinger. Okay. They're great. Badfinger? Badfinger. Not Batfinger. Not Batfinger. No. Different guys. Okay, okay. (laughs) But Wong, uh... When he found out they weren't going to be able to put on any more records on Apple, he made some poor decisions. Uh Uh-oh. He was very upset, and he was like, I have to undo this. I have to undo this. I need more Badfinger. I need Badfinger. (laughs) So So he started rummaging around in some of Dr. Strange's eldritch items, and he was like, oh, this thing looks powerful, and he picked out Dr. Strange's uh, tie pin of Tralfamador. Because it was, he was just like, he could read its aura. He used his own magic skills and was just like, this is very, very eldritch. Very old. Very puissant. Oh. He couldn't, couldn't get enough of that power that it had. Because uh-huh. he had to, had to get some more Badfinger. Right. Only it was too powerful for him to harness. He started acting uncharacteristic. It had the effect that, like, uh, you remember in Superman 3 when uh, Richard Pryor exposed Superman to, like, the red kryptonite and it made him act like a jerk Mm. had almost that effect on wong he started just going around he made this giant hailstorm that caused softball size hail to form he because he was in a musical mind he made himself appear as a menacing image behind a pane of glass that that mick jagger was looking at and mick jagger punched out the glass and broke his hand oh geez got glass shards everywhere that's terrible fortunately Everyone was able to stand around Wong. The defenders rallied. Valkyrie led them. And she was like, Wong, you can do this. Control yourself. Fight the power. Fight the power. (laughs) And he was able to get himself under control. And because this was witnessed by the Isley brothers, (laughs) they very hastily wrote and recorded a song that reached the charts that very month. Wow. Fight the power. Wow. What What a long and winding road. Indeed. But he really did put his Wong foot forward there. I would say so. Riding that whole situation goofy foot. Dang. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us, listeners. This has been a real treat. I had a fun time recording this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go curl myself up inside into a ball because I drink <laughs> too much eggnog, which is essentially just heavy cream and eggs and booze. And sugar. And sh- Oh, yeah. Don't forget the sugar. Nope. It's real good. But thank you, and uh, I hope you enjoy the festive seasonal holiday of your choice and have a great time. Yes. I'm going to have a great time curling up in a ball. All right. It's going to be real fun. Ball it up. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. If you would like to help us out in some way, you can donate monetarily at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. We've gotten some new donations, which I really appreciate. It's, it's very nice, and we're going to put some more bonus content up for our donors very soon in the form of a special Automan Auto podcast. And if you would like to contribute non-monetarily, you can also support us by just telling a friend, telling whoever will listen about this podcast. Uh, just be evangelical. Just go up on the street and be like, <laughs> have you heard the good news? Tighten up the defense. Uh-huh. Have you heard the good news? It's like a pie not made out of steel. Mm. So yeah, just go out there and distribute those pamphlets. Uh, you can also, if you don't have any pamphlets, then you can just leave us a review on whatever the fuck iTunes is calling itself. Uh, that would be helpful, help people find the show. And uh, yeah, just keep listening, because uh, I I love it that you do, and it makes it fun to do the show. Yeah. So have a great time. Happy, happy, happy whatever. Happy whatever's. Merry winter. Yeah, man. Do the funky gibbon. Hunf! <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. And they knew it. Spider-Man in the trap. My spider sense tingling. Must be trouble up ahead. Here comes Spider-Man, boss. Your calculations were right. Certainly they were. Are you ready, men? Ready with the super steel spider net? Sure, boss. You'll never break out of this. Ha ha ha. Then throw it, you lunkheads. Now. Uh Uh-oh. I knew this wasn't going to be my day. Your days are numbered, Spider-Man. You'll never escape from our windowless, five-foot-thick concrete security cell. Take him away, boys. Rats. Looks like they really got me, unless... Hey, hotshot. Why not be a real nice guy and let me out of here? No chance, Webhead. Not even for a million bucks. No? Then how about for some of these delicious Hostess fruit pies? Gee, you got... Hostess fruit pies? Never go any place without them. And you can have all of them if you set me free. The boss will have my head, but gee, light flaky crust, real fruit filling. You got a deal, web slinger. There you go, lunkhead. I knew you couldn't resist hostess fruit pies. Wow! <laughs> Apple, <laughs> cherry, blueberry. My taste buds are panting. Gross. Yeah. Now to take care of the boss man and the rest of the gang, between my webbing and delicious hostess fruit pies, they haven't got a chance. You You get a big delight in every bite of a hostess fruit pies. pies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. My taste buds are panting. That's unfortunate. That is not how taste buds go.